Welcome to another episode of Horse Spanning Time. This is a podcast in which we explore the films of a particular year. This season's year is 1995. I am Bud Catino. And I'm Beth Martini. For today's episode, we are covering the Bridges of Madison County. Woo-hoo! Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I chose this movie because... what? So far, we've done a bunch of indie films, more or less, right? And... And that's sort of exemplary of films from this era. This 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 decade is truly like the rise of the indie film, um, mm. and and you and me being sort of like indie uh, grungy kids from the '90s, I think we were drawn to a lot of that stuff, like Kids and Basketball Diaries, and you know, Twelve Monkeys, uh, City of Lost Children. We yeah. love that sort of the aesthetic of those films and and the sort of the, the, the thematic stuff going on there, but. Uh, and I never, ever would have ever watched Bridges of Madison County. No way, no thanks. Um, <laughs> probably my parents did, you know? Yeah. I, I imagine my parents maybe parked us with, like, a babysitter and then maybe, like, put, put some white wine out of a box into, like, a glass bottle and went to the drive-in, maybe. Um, I could see that happening. But, yeah, I, no Meryl Streep, no thanks. Uh, Clint Eastwood, no thank you. Uh, I don't know, but you know, we're, we're trying to think of the next movie to do. And I was like, let's just do one of these fucking slow stayed, you know, big budget Hollywood, just general population films. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad that we did, we did this movie. I'm so glad that I chose this movie. It was really good. Like it was a, it was a really good movie. Um, I have like a couple of sort of like fun facts about um, the movie and just like reception and stuff like that, that I'd love to share. Um, So the first one that kind of blew my mind up was that this movie, when it was released, came in number two in the box office, only behind the live action film Casper, the friendly ghost, which was produced almost entirely CGI from Industrial Light and Magic. So there's a Steven Spielberg tie in there. And then also randomly um, has a cameo of fucking. Oh, my God. What's his name? The main ass guy. Why can I not think of it? It's like Clint Eastwood. Right. There's a Clint Eastwood cameo in In Casper. Casper. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I didn't know that. And it popped up and I was like, that's hilarious. Now, I haven't seen Casper since it came out. Uh, Maybe since it came out on video. Yeah. Uh, No. What what is old Clint doing in Casper? I didn't I didn't I didn't dig too deep into that. I just saw that anecdotally that was like, which also happens to have a Clint Eastwood cameo in it. That's amazing. Is he kissing? I hope he's not kissing. Oh, okay. We can't talk about that yet. We cannot talk about that. (laughs) Okay. You want to say that? That's good. We got to say that for later. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, some more, some more really interesting information. Um, it went through a series of different scriptwriters because I guess the book, the original book, Bridges of Madison County is kind of, heavy handed and slightly obtuse and uh, Spielberg and uh, Clint Eastwood really wanted to not have it be that. Um, and so the writer is uh, Richard Le or Graveness, who wrote the Fisher King and also a little princess, which also came out in 1995 banger of oh. a movie. 
Little Princess? Yeah. I don't think I know that one. What's that about? Oh, it's so good. Okay. Uh, I'm going to really high level this. So uh, magical realism, little girl's an orphan because her father who was fighting in the Indian colonial war uh, fucking was supposedly died. That's, that's essentially the premise. And then a little princess is this entire story of her, you know, trying to build in her imagination a better world than the world that she lives in. It very much was in the same vein as A Secret Garden, which came out around the similar time. And I think that there was even like an like a film to TV movie DVD pipeline where a uh, Little Princess and Secret Garden were actually on like a, a DVD disc together. So you could get oh, two sick. movies. Yeah. Um, so like, I'm pretty sure I had that when I was like DVD age, you know, but like, it's, it's really beautiful. Um, there's a lot of like, then a lot of the story is told through like, um, Indian fairy tales. And like, so she's like telling this story and it's like, it's the imagery is really beautiful. And, and yeah, it's a, it's a banger. Um, but so I was like, okay, those are some writing chops there. Um, and then really fascinatingly, this is kind of like the last fun factoid, is the film was filmed chronologically in 41 days. And Clint Eastwood felt that it was like really important because he wanted, he said, we're getting to know each other like as characters and as people. Okay. I'm just saying. Oh, and then the last, sorry, I said that was the last one, but this is actually the last one. Uh, the other really strongly pushed actress for the role of Francesca was Isabella Rossellini. Okay. Um, that I could really, see. Yeah. But the, the final call came to Clint Eastwood and he was like Meryl Streep from the beginning. And she was nominated like in seven different awards for her performance in that film. Yeah, she fucking rules. Oh my god. And what movie. a babe. Yeah, she's Ugh. so hot. <laughs> yeah. God, sure. I cannot. I literally though, like I kid you not, I started crying like probably 45 minutes into the movie and then just like slowly cried all the way through the end of the film. I cried a lot. I cried a lot through yeah. the movie. What uh what started it off for you? What what happens at 45 minutes? I want to say it was for, I didn't actually look at the time, but it's the kitchen scene. It's the kitchen scene where she's like having that realization of like, well, what the fuck is, what is this? What is this actually? Like, yeah. <laughs> what do I, what am I going to do in two days? Like, what is yeah. that? What is going to happen? And like her, her, apparently the, like the people who rate movies wanted to rate the movie a rated R because of her comment, like the line, what do you want to just fuck on the linoleum? My favorite line of the film, more eggs or should we just fuck on the linoleum one last time? Absolutely incredible. Yeah. After she takes two completely perfectly full plates of eggs away yeah. and throws and them frozen. in the kitchen <laughs> sink. It was just like, it was just like such a good, such a good scene. And like, just like so brilliantly done to show like the like really like how harrowing that experience was for both of them. It's I found it so emotionally well balanced throughout. It just 
there wasn't any bullshit. When we get to the ratings, we'll talk about veracity, but it was fucking truthful as hell. It was so yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, there, yeah, it, it's, I was, I was talking about it last night at a party and someone was like, isn't it slow? And I was like, I think it just pretends to be slow, but mm-hmm. it, it's well paced. It fucking moves. Yeah. It's, there's not really, uh, we're going to get to the, the schmooching, but. The, the we, schmo- I mean, the, we can talk about the schmooching now if we want to. The, the, the schmooching is the only time where I'm like touching the computer and be like, how much longer does this have to go on? It's a long movie also. It's like two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the kissing, like the weird love scenes, uh, kind of drag a bit. That's, but I think, I think that's also because I was just <laughs> horrified by watching Clint Eastwood kiss. I don't think anyone should ever have to do that. Yeah, the kissing really. I mean, there was like, okay, so the kissing, the the early kissing, like the kissing that they were doing when they started dancing, like after she bought the dress. And came downstairs, which was just incredible. And you want to know the thing I loved the most about that moment was that her tits did not look perfect. No. Yeah. That was the best part. Yeah. Like she looked like a actual woman in an actual yeah. dress. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She her physicality was so good. Oh, it, it was very specific. Like she's kind of like a clunky, curvy, middle aged mother who was a school mm-hmm. teacher who lives on a fucking farm like yeah when she's when she's moving around to the very beginning the opening scene when she's like in the kitchen and she's like doing dishes or like cooking food or whatever and, and like, like shutting she, doors with her foot and shit yeah, she's like a little clunky she doesn't seem too graceful the way she moves the way yeah. that they designed her dresses really show off how broad her hips are and like mm-hmm. it really accentuates her big ass and her big thighs and like uh yep. yeah it's not meant to like make her any more like streamlined or graceful or anything it's just like this is this sort of like funny clunky woman from italy who just now lives on a farm in iowa Um, but you know what was really fascinating was how how it their the the costume choices also accentuated just how fucking strong she is mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. when she was like hoeing in the garden and then driving the tractor and then running into the house like that was like that was all those activities were more graceful than the time that she was in the kitchen. That's right. That's absolutely right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and I thought that that was like a really nice and, and it's just like, also it just speaks to like Meryl Streep as an actor and like her ability to own a role. Right. Like, the frustration that she had, the fear that she had that someone might see them when they were going off for their walk. And she was like, would you like to have, she, they got to the end of the driveway barely. And she was like, should we just go back inside and have coffee or brandy or something, you know? And just like, even the like apparent non sequitur of cutting to Lucy driving her Bel Air down the highway to the sandwich shop. And then, uh, then fucking rich Robert Robert being Robert. there and like watching everybody like small town bullshit and all of that stuff. Like at first <laughs> I was like, who the fuck is this lady in this car? Where did, where did this happen? Yeah, that, that was a really, that was a really subtle setup. I, I definitely appreciate that. I loved how grotesque the townspeople all looked. 
Like oh, all like, just disgusting. Like, <laughs> it's they're all teeth and limbs and hair and like nose hair and shit. It's just like everyone's like fat and skinny at the same time and just like not in their bodies. And like it was so good. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I think yeah, I, where do you know where Clint Eastwood is in his directorial career at this point? All right. So he had done um you know dirty harry he had done oh he directed all those things yeah he had just kind of come off of like pale rider and um you know he did a bunch of like the western stuff that he also was in and shit but then in 1992, he did Unforgiven, and yeah. then A Perfect World and Bridges of Madison County, and then he had a couple more films in like 97 and 99, uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, True Crime, oh, wow. yeah, and then it wasn't until like, you know. 2003 that he really like came back on the scene with mystic river Mm. um and then you know he's just kind of consistently directed and all of the movies he's directed are very um like big i feel like like not big like not big like as in like very very popular but big as in like they're kind of expansive stories to tell yeah and you know Bridges of Madison County almost feels like the opposite of some of the other stuff that he's done. Yeah. Um, Sorry, something just jumped out to me. In an unpublicized affair, Eastwood sired, I love the verbiage, sired two legally fatherless children. Scott, born in 1986, and Catherine, born in 1988. What the fuck? Really? With uh, someone named Jacelyn Reeves, a flight attendant. Hmm weird so he has two he has he has birth he's been a part of the birthing of two legally fatherless children he is the sire of two legally fathers gross can we never say that ever again addressing my dad as sire hate it that just jumped out at me yeah um you know he was kind of like you know the opposite of all of his fucking roles too like yeah like dirty you know, harry upper, and yeah upper middle class bro like you know he did spend some time in the pacific northwest so maybe like robert kincaid was like slightly autobiographical um Another, um, another, you know, hot moment in the film that I just absolutely love uh, as a Pacific Northwesterner was the fact that they were drinking Rainier beer in Iowa. So I'm assuming the beers came like he's, but it's like you're in Iowa. You you drove from Washington State. How long? How many beers did you bring with you, my dude? Like, what? That's not a that's not a short drive, you know. Yeah. Like he like he likes his beers. I mean Rainier is fucking delicious. Rainier's pretty good. Yeah. It's it's I bet it was even better back in the fucking nineties too. Yeah. Um, back, in, back in the sixties when this takes place? 
Well, yeah, but, you know, they would have been drinking 90s. Well, I guess they probably weren't drinking any real beer at all. I don't know if you drink you drink real beer on a film. Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah, I definitely wrote. Oh my god, why did they kiss like that? <laughs> okay, let's 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 run down the plot real quick because I feel like we just got to get it out. It's pretty much okay. uh, Meryl Streep's characters. What is her name? Was her first Francesca? Name? Francesca, thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. Francesca has died. It's mm-hmm. the '90s. Her two children, adult children, adult children, um, who are horrible people. They both are horrible people, especially the son's wife. She's a conspicuous, money-grubbing, annoying person. Mm-hmm. Um, they have come to the family home in Iowa to receive, you know, the last will and testament. Um, the lawyer's like, okay, your mother wanted to be cremated and um, the, her ashes are thrown off. Uh, the Roseman uh, Bridge. The Roseman Bridge, one of the bridges of Madison County. And they're like, oh, no. And they're so pissed off. I, I think that's like the most unbelievable part of the film. And it's right up front. It's just like how offended they are that she wanted to be cremated. OK, but not really. It's find, not that. You, you it, for, compelling. for religious families in the Midwest in the 80s and 90s, cremation would not have been a thing. You know, and oh, yeah, no. And she is they don't ever explicitly mention it, but I'm I'm assuming that they were Catholic. You know, they're she's from Italy. That cross that she gave to Robert was made for her in. Oh, what the fuck was the name of that town? Like a very famous religious pilgrimage city in um, in Italy, you know, uh, Catholicism had a pretty heavy hold in the Midwest because of Irish immigrants and German immigrants, although Lutheranism also was really big. So regardless, there would have been like a pretty heavy, like um, a pretty heavy opinion about cremation and like you're not like you, you get buried, you have an open casket funeral, you get buried you're, you know, you're fucking in a plot with the rest of your family. So your family can all go there. Like my family, including my grandmother, who was cremated, but part of her ashes were put in the family plot in Indianapolis. Like there is oh, wow. a fucking there is a graveyard in Indianapolis that has like generations of my family buried in it. You know what I mean? Like so that part weirdly was not that unbelievable to me. Um, be, just because of like the Midwest and w- what it's like here in those families that have like farmed for generations and shit. Interesting. Oh yeah. As a sort of like, we're farmers, like back when we die, we go back to the land. Like the land is everything. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I kind, yeah, it, it's, I feel like the kid, the adult children are kind of slapsticky. There's such big personalities right up front and i'm like i yeah. don't know what is this movie gonna be so many right. microaggressions right um it, it it was sort of distracting but i i just i couldn't help but think that like <clears throat> i would love to do like a stage production of this movie but just like a scene by scene parody of this movie would be really fun like they're like 
going through like they find a key and they are going through her like chest and it'd be fun if they're just pulling out like you know like a gimp mask and like strap-ons and like you know just all sorts of really like bizarre shit and even like you know cut out the floor so that you can have really giant stuff come out like sex dolls and that sort of stuff because they're um especially the son is obsessed with his mother's sex life yeah like he's obsessed with sex stuff yeah and what his mother may or may not have done sex wise they, they find out um they just keep digging they're like why does she why is she getting cremated and they keep on finding you know letters and stuff and they find the letter from robert kincaid who is played by clint eastwood and they're like oh my god she was having like a, an affair or something 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 happened and then they go into this chest and they find three fucking fully like gilt paged, you know, white leather bound journals. And then they sit down and the, the introduction is like, I'm sorry. I just need to be seen. You're like, I never told you guys this. You were little kids. You were kids when this was happening. Um, and I know this is not going to be easy. It's like, she's almost kind of punking her son. Cause she's like, I hope you're, I hope you're reading this with Michael because he's he can't do it alone. I don't think he can handle it on his own. He's a sensitive <laughs> little guy. Yeah, uh, which is great because I I already hated the son at this point. Yes. Um, and she's making fun of him because she, you know, as we see later on, she kind of finds her children. She loves her children dearly with a with a, a fierce passion, but she also thinks that they're thinks annoying. that they're fucking annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I love that the opening statement in her first journal is you guys were going to the Illinois State Fair to show off um, the daughter's prize steer. And I found myself literally counting the minutes until you left. Yeah. I know that that sounds terrible, but I needed a fucking break. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's and she's such a compelling character because she's alone when she's when they're around. Yeah. And because you know there's that scene in, immediately when she she serves them dinner and they just sit down and they're eating and no one's looking at anyone else and no one's talking to anyone else and she's like she's like looking lovingly at her family and like in turn looking at her children and her and her husband and she's just is like fuck she's so bored she's so lonely yeah um but also she i, I, I don't know the 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 interplay of of emotions that she goes through her emotional trajectory that she goes through within just that like fucking 90 second scene uh, is fantastic. I, I had to watch it twice. I had to rewind and like watch it over. I like I, it ended and I was like, what the fuck just happened? And I like had yeah. to go back and watch it again. It was like, yeah. I was like, there's so much going on in this one fucking scene. And that's, that's what it's exemplary of her performance throughout this entire movie. She is doing so much fucking work. Yes. Yeah. You know what was so okay. So this is like a fun, another funny like Midwestern household thing, but like watching her get the dinner ready, get everybody seated, not come to the table until everybody had started eating, was like low key really triggering for me because I was the only person who would wait to eat until my grandmother sat down because my grandmother was exactly the same way. She would have been roughly the same age as Francesca in that time. Although by that time, my grandmother was already divorced and like living on her own, but still, and it's just like watching the, 
watching her watch everyone start eating and like making sure everybody had everything and (laughs) the stack of white bread and the fucking cottage cheese i cannot tell you that is a detail that is a fucking detail that is like quintessentially midwestern fucking every dinner stack of white bread on the side and like some fucking cottage cheese and then sliced tomatoes with salt and pepper in the summertime like like so often that it it, it, and it was it's such a thing for me that like when trevin and i first started dating he could not understand why i couldn't eat a meal without some kind of a starch like i either had to have a bread or i had to have a potato or i had to have a rice or a pasta or something i was like Cause like, I don't know how to eat without that. Like, I don't know how, to, like, I don't know how, like the only thing they left out was like buttering the bread and then using that to butter your corn. Like, Oh, is that a thing? Oh yes. It's a thing. Wow. It is a thing. And that was wow. so that you didn't leave corn marks in the butter. Thank oh, yeah. you for, for telling me these details. It, it, you know, I struggle with my ethnic identity and it really makes me feel <laughs> more of a Mexican just to hear this stuff. I, this is so foreign to me. <laughs> You're very welcome. Cause I also struggle with my ethnic identity. And I think I finally come to terms with the fact that my ethnic identity is Midwest. Midwest. That's great. That's lovely. Nice people out there. Indeed. Um, yeah. I, I have a note that says totally hot farmhouse mom body. Oh, for sure. That fucking booty. Just that booty. Yeah. Won't stop. Oh, incredible. I, I, love, I love the scene when, so she's just on her own and she's like, I don't know, four days. I, it, it sucks, but it's, it's just, I need a break from these fucking, these swine that I married yes. to, these American swine that I married to. And then Clint Eastwood <laughs> just shows up out of the blue and he's like, ah, I think I'm lost. And she she's says, like, are you in Iowa? Are you, su- are are you, you supposed you- to be in Iowa? Then you're not that lost. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, which is, it's, I mean, the writing is really very good because that's, you know, on, on one level, she's like, it's easy. But on another level, it's like, well, fucking, uh, you're in Iowa. Like one place in Iowa is as good as anywhere else. So what are you, what are you worried about? You're here. You know, if you're supposed to be here, you're supposed to be here. And he's like, I'm looking for bridges. I'm looking for this bridge. And she's like, well, uh, it's, it's this way. Then you go this way. And then she's just like mentioning farms by name. Like, and then he's like, uh, and she's like, oh, it's a farm. And then she mentions another one. She's like, it's another farm. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, great. And she's like trying. And you know, what was really interesting to me about that scene was that she, um, this was like the first time that I really put together that she was foreign because she does this brilliant thing of like, she was like searching for the what the easiest way to communicate the information and i was like i but at first i definitely until she said she was born in italy i definitely like thought she was eastern european at first because like her accent was so like implacable implacable is that the right word i don't know um you i I couldn't tell you know because she wasn't doing a lot of talking to begin with yeah um but yeah okay continue and she wasn't, and and I, I just, I'll touch on her accent real quick. It wasn't like, oh, buffongula, marinara, la, la, la. You know, it was just like, yes. 
uh, not a stereotype Italian accent. It was just very, uh, and she uh, spoke like someone who's been in the country for like, you know, 20 years, but uh, it, it was there. It kind of fluctuated, I thought sometimes, but it, it didn't really, it, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Um, but I really love, so she's like, okay. I, oh yeah. I, I want to touch on boredom. Boredom is also another character in this movie. Yep. And and she almost has more uh, of a, a, a charismatic connection to boredom, more of a better connection to boredom than she does to uh, Clint Eastwood <laughs> as, as an actor. Um, but yeah, she's just like, she's bored when she's giving him directions. She's like bored of the fucking shit that's coming out of her mouth. Mm-hmm. And she's bored she, with the fact that she has to refer to everything by fucking... Like she actually says, I guess this would be a lot easier if there were actually street names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and she's from Italy, which is an old fucking country, and like you know yes. they probably have better street names and better city planning wherever yeah. she's from in Italy. Um, and she's just like, okay, uh, well, I'll just take you. I'll, yep. I'll just take you. And it's so funny because you can tell that she's like, cool, like covered bridges, like fuck. <laughs> Is that what you're into? She's like, okay. She's like, that's so boring, but that's even, that's just less boring than my boring fucking life. So I'll, I, I, you could, you could kill me for all I care. Like I'm going, I'm going with you. And then one of my, my first favorite parts is she walks away. She like swipes her butt with her Mm. hand. And then she like looks back sort of like, did you watch me do that? And she like swipes her, her big like farmhouse mom ass. Yep. With her hand and then she looks back like a little a little self-consciously um yes yeah there's so many of those little tiny like micro things throughout this movie that are really just makes it fantastic yeah absolutely um so now they're in the truck on their way to Rosamond bridge oh yeah which interestingly enough interesting factoid about Rosamond bridge built in 1883 also known as the Haunted Bridge because an inmate uh, was being tracked and caught on the bridge in 1892. And supposedly he yelled into the air and then levitated out of the bridge and disappeared. And the jailers determined that anyone who could do that must have been innocent. So they didn't need to continue looking for him. Okay. That is on the Madison County Bridge fact page. That is canon. Whoa. Uh-huh. I feel like because I just went to Iowa recently, I need to look at where Madison County is, actually. It's, like, really close to Illinois. Um, the second fucking hilarious thing happens when they're in the truck, and he's like, I like the smell of Iowa. You can, it's, like, something, like, smell it here. It's, like, the loam... Yeah, and, and she's just like, whatever, dude. Well, and then what's really funny is she very subtly smells her armpit <laughs> when he's talking about the smell of Iowa. Oh, I definitely <laughs> miss that. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's she has her elbow up on the windowsill of the truck. Oh. And he's talking about, he's just, he's staring ahead. He's not really paying attention to her. He's just being like, kind of his like dumb, you know, he's an artist. So he's just talking about his dumb art stuff. And he's like, I like the smell here. It's like something in the loam, I guess. I guess you're used to it because you live here. And she's just like subtly, very subtly dips her head down and she, and turns it towards her armpits. Incredible. And, yeah. And yeah. And, and it's, it's summertime in Madison County. So 
uh, everyone's a little, she's, she's very sweaty. She's got giant pit stains throughout this yeah. whole movie, which is hot. Yep. Yeah. She's a sweaty lady. She's a big sweaty lady. Yeah. Love it. Um, yeah. Did you see where Madison County is? Oh no. I just thought I got bored of something. Um. <laughs> This pro- this podcast brought to you by two adults <laughs> with ADHD. If you're wondering how it's going to go. It's like I couldn't really figure out. It's not Madison. Madison it County. It is. It is Madison County. Oh, it is Madison. Madison, Co- Madison oh, okay. County, Iowa. Oh, okay. oh, I'm looking at Wisconsin. Okay, I'm fucking dumb. I'm literally Look. saying the word Iowa and then just looked at Iowa. I, ty- I just typed in. Madison, Wisconsin? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Do you like how there, I fucking sound so Midwestern when I say the word Wisconsin? Yes. Oh yeah, Madison, Wisconsin. Is that just like an accent thing that you get from? It's just a. It, it, yeah, like, <laughs> um, I have a fucked up accent because, like, the Midwestern shit definitely is in there, but then also the Southern California shit is definitely yeah. in there. You and then there's the, like the, the grossest accent, which is San Diego, California accent. Yeah. But then there's also like this weird Seattle thing that creeps mm. in. That's like a little country, mm-hmm. which mixes really well with the Midwestern thing. Yeah. So like a lot of people just never can place where I'm from as a result of it. Right. Um, yeah. Luckily, I never really like developed vocal fry, which I'm very, very grateful for. And I spent a considerable amount of personal work on trying to lose my um, upward inflection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Yeah. Upspeak is a a hometown trait that we have, I would say. Yes. I'm fucking speaking in Upspeak right now. Um, Well... It's, un- it's fucking unavoidable. I had a I had a boss be like every <clears throat> every single sentence does not need to sound like a question, and I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And she's like, "Everything that you say goes up the end, and that's how you ask a question." And I'm like, "Oh my god, I can't! I have to! I have to stop!" I have to work out. And I br- I I tried really hard to break myself of it. Like, it sometimes it happens, but it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. I had, uh, when I was in college studying creative writing, I had a classmate and we, you know, we would read each other's stories and I had this fucking classmate who would read everything and upspeak just constantly. And I was like, you're shitting on my story and it's got a lot Ugh. more gravitas than what, what you're giving it. Exactly. Ugh, so annoying. Um, well, okay. So back to the plot line. <laughs> yeah. So then they find the ridge and she's just sort of, she's sort of like, he's setting up and he's like, I think yeah, he's just like, well, it's, it's not that good, but you know, I'll, I'll kind of get started, you know, today and then I have to come back in the morning. Um, and she's just as like cute and wandering around the bridge and she's like, Oh, I'm kind of Twitter pated. Like I kind of like this guy for some reason. And she's like sort of shyly kind of like spying on him. Yeah. Um, and then like, they just keep on hanging out. And they oh, but they you just... you you missed one really important part. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie, the flower prank. Oh, the flower prank. Yeah, that's pretty good. She just, in a way that seems like it, it felt so natural that it didn't feel like acting. 
He's like, oh, you caught me. Picking flowers is something you still do for, for beautiful ladies, right? And she, he like walks up holding like a really beautiful bouquet of wildflowers. And then she's like, yeah, but those are poisonous without missing a fucking beat. So and then good. he just drops them on the ground and she just starts laughing like hysterically. Like, I totally am kidding, but like, I can't believe you fell for it. But also like, that was hilarious. But also like, I'm a little embarrassed because like, I just played a prank on you. It was so good. I like, I love the flower prank. Yeah. And I think internally what's going on is, is like, she probably was last time she fucking did that to her husband. Maybe never. Right. And so she's feeling like, when was the last time he picked wildflowers from the side of a meadow for her that's probably also a good a good question and yeah so i think she's like returning to something very personal about herself that she probably hasn't experienced for a long time and that's like uh her, her sense of humor and her sen- yeah her playfulness her yeah. Yeah, spontaneity and that's why i think she's so in, in a way maybe she's like kind of uh, falling in love with the situation maybe mm, more so mm-hmm. than him mm-hmm. yeah I could definitely see that. Do you think that Clint Eastwood should have been the actor in this movie? No. Yeah. There's a moment at the towards the end of the film where I'm just like, man, you look like a fucking <laughs> a catcher's old, <laughs> No, like an old ass, like sad, like puppy dog. But I also am crying, so like it's clearly working. Yeah. There are moments where it's definitely working because you know. I think what was important, I think that what was critical even for this film was that he be someone who was the same age or slightly older than her husband, because they really there's Mm. I don't know if you caught this, but there's a moment when she's getting her husband ready to leave when she like bumps the sock drawer open and then she like, like touches his like the like his shirt, like adjust his shirt and like they do like a really quick belly focus like on his like rotund sort Mm -hmm. of like dad bod and a button-up shirt tucking his fucking shirt into his jeans yeah Yeah. and then they do a very similar shot when she's like sort of hardcore lurking on on robert while he's like cleaning up out at the at the well at the water well yeah and he's like fucking ripped yeah he's like He's uh, he's in his sixties when he yeah. films this movie, but he's hunky as hell. He's yep. definitely hunky. Yeah. Um, he definitely is still like old and leathery and like mm-hmm. you know kind of looks like my grandma, but he's <laughs> he's ripped. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a, a hot hunky bod for a sixty year old for sure. Totally. And so yeah. like I think like that definitely like had to be, and he is very charming. Like he is very Clint Eastwood is very charming, and. Yeah. I just, there were just moments where, I, I mean, the kissing was terrible. The kissing part, part <laughs> was really awful. Let's just go. Um, let's go there. We got to go okay. there. Okay. So, um, you know, they do the the bridge sighting thing. She invites him back to the house for dinner. It's very cute. And, like, they're weirdly shy. He grabs for the onions over her. And mm-hmm. he's like, I can trim these too. And she's, like, kind of taken aback by the fact that, like, a, he's in her home. B, he's like offering to help repeatedly. Like he's helping cook dinner. He's offering to do the dishes. And like that is another like so different 
experience than her day-to-day life, right? So that's just adding to this, like, allure, this, like, romance, whatever. Um, and, you know, the the dinner goes on. They offer to go for a walk. We mentioned this a little bit earlier. Like, she's, you know, they're walking and he like he's trying to have like innocuous conversation with her and she's doing this thing where she keeps looking back at the house and looking out at the road and then looking back at the house and looking at and she's like do you want to just come inside and have something to drink and it's not because she necessarily wants i mean part of it is probably she wants him to come back inside but it's also like she has already told him the story i think at this point about lucy and the man that she had an affair with and how the wife found them sleeping together. And now the whole town knows about it and the whole town talks about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and I think that part of that runs through her head a little bit. And so they go back inside, they have, they have coffee and brandy or whatever. And, and then it cuts back to present day and the son, the shithead son says something like, well, that's it. He got her drunk. He's there. He's getting her drunk. And that's, he's taking advantage of her. And the daughter already is like, I don't know, man. Like he seems like kind of a nice guy. And like yeah. mom seemed to be pretty fucking down to hang. Right. Like, she doesn't seem like she's lost her agency or whatever. Yeah. Like the daughter definitely ends up being endearing at, at, at by the end of the film. The son is still like I could take him or leave him, but I definitely like the daughter has she grows on me. Yeah, I think well, I, I think they're the only two characters that have any emotional growth because right. because for you know it's not a sad it's not a happy ending for francesca because she just you know oh gosh i mean we'll get to the end oh god <laughs> we'll just we could just both cry at each other uh, through our computer screens but you know like she yeah. just goes back to her old life mm-hmm. um and you don't really see any like growth and he just goes back to his life and then they never see each other again and then um yeah but the children you know they're, they're the ones who have resolution in their lives because they both are sort of plagued by these romantic issues with their partners um, right, you don't you don't exactly know what the problem is with the son but you you're you're we're poised to hate his wife because she's just very money grubby and she's kind of flighty and annoying um right. and and then the daughter's husband has been cheating on her also or something like that yeah it, it, the daughter <laughs> the daughter's husband just sounds like a right a royal prick basically yeah, exactly um, so then we, you know, we snap back into present day, uh, Francesca or into the past in the story and Francesca can't sleep and, you know, all she's doing is thinking about Robert. And so she, you know, gets up in the middle of the night, writes him a note after sitting on the front porch reading Yates. I particularly love the Yates moment where he's like, I, I it makes me feel in touch with my Irish ancestry. I'm like, yeah, Yates does that to me too. Um, But I just love that that she like, you know, sat on the porch and read Yates and then stood there with like her fucking nightgown open. And then the only thing that stopped her was the reality of the damn mosquitoes. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like having this cool moment. And then she gets bit like three times on her tits by a mosquito. And she's like, fuck, and has to go inside. (laughs) Like, it's like nothing could be like there can be no beautiful, uh, good, sensual things for this woman in her life. Yeah. Like everything gets ruined <laughs> by the fact that she fucking moved to America and she moved to 
fucking Iowa to live on a farm. Like is the bane of her existence is the setting of this film. Yeah. And you know, she's calamining, she's calamine lotioning her boobs, which is highly relatable content. And, um, Do, do you think, was that Meryl Streep's naked body? Like there's such a like really quick, subtle picture the, that was like uh, the the stomach to hip moment. It, it was just like middle mid boob to stomach to hip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It might have been, but I was like, you guys are really fucking up if that is her body because that body did not give birth to two children. Oh, because she's all like. There's not a fucking stretch mark to be mm, seen, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know. So I mean, I mean I'm, it, it looks like a middle-aged woman's body. I would say. I didn't but, think so. Okay. Because you know, but maybe a middle-aged woman in the '60s who doesn't eat processed food and does a bunch of farm work. I'll give it that. So, um, let me see here. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I'm going to go down this rabbit hole, but uh, yeah, Meryl Streep. For 1949, so 50 to 1945, she's 46 in this film. Mm-hmm. So she's 10 years older than I am. Yeah. <laughs> she's five years older than I am in this film. Meryl Streep is my dad's age. Uh, That's wild. That is wild. So can see, and her kids are like 17. 16, so 17, yeah. 16, 17. So yeah, she would have been like 30. Am I doing math right? Yeah. I'm doing math right. So 30. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I'm trying to calculate the bounce backness of, of someone's body. Dog, no. Your body does not bounce back that well at that age. But it, again, That's it was a saying. different time. Yeah. It was a different time, right? Like, <laughs> you know, maybe because she was like a very physically active woman and, you know, whatever, whatever. But I am glad that there wasn't more of the body in it because it would have just made it less, even less believable. But so like, Mer- Meryl Streep has four children. She's given birth to four children. Yeah. And I think her oldest kid is like 43 or 1979. Okay. So I'm guessing that wasn't Meryl Streep's. Uh, that, no, bot. there's no fucking way it was her hot bot. There's no fucking way. Yeah. Like, I know what bodies look like after they give birth to children. And it is not that. Yeah. Not if you're. No, absolutely not. I'm very curious though to I I'm gonna I wanna I wonder if I can find it online. Is was there a body double? She did uh oh, it's actually a standard stipulation in her contracts that there's a body double. So that is a body double in the mirror scene. Yeah. Apparently she put on fifteen to twenty pounds for the role in the movie. I believe it. To be a more middle aged housewife. like body type um but yeah common common stipulation in most of her contracts is that there is a body double being used nice yep um so my my meryl streep thing would be like death becomes her that's mm, kind of where i first became aware of her which is i think the movie that she does right before this in 1992 okay um so that's how i know meryl streep and she was like so Which is funny because, like, yeah, it's still a total banger. So, 1992, 50, 40, yeah, she's like 43. Mm -hmm. That's so funny because she plays like some old, like, kind of has been woman who is seeking immortality. That just speaks to the hypocrisy of Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. That the only thing a 43 year old gorgeous actress could get are housewife roles 
and middle-aged gold diggers. <laughs> yeah. That's my hot take for the night. Yeah, um, no, my first my first introduction to uh, Meryl Streep was in the controversial now, but not so controversial at the time role that she played as Woody Allen's love interest in Manhattan. Oh, I don't know this one. She was a literal fucking 16 year old. Mm. She was in high school in the movie. Oh, dear. It's like the Annie Hall before Annie Hall, basically. It's the movie that, yeah. And it's, I, I loved the movie. Um, Diane Keaton's fucking fits in Manhattan are so much better than her fits in Annie Hall. Sorry, all you Annie Hall stands out there, <laughs> but like, not me, my dudes. My I old. I don't know his movies. He's never been like a, a guy for me. <sighs> Consider yourself lucky. <laughs> I just don't care. I'm like, uh, I have to watch this guy. He's annoying. He's so fucking annoying and he's so fucking gross. And like, <clears throat> he's just like annoying and gross. But like, okay. Is, is this the one where she's in high school? Okay. So I think that this is the one where she's supposed to be in high school, but she also looks like she's 24. It is a very confusing mm. role, but she is a maximum hottie in this movie like so fucking gorgeous she has like such a bad oh no sorry meryl streep isn't the the teenager mariel hemingway is the teenager that's right that's who and she actually looks like an actual teenager yeah but yes no manhattan such a good such a good movie mostly because all of the women in the film are just absolutely like you're a piece of shit but diane keaton still kind of like gives in and like ends up being somehow romantically involved i just don't i'm just like i don't get it i think yeah i just don't get it at all maybe i should watch it just because i live in manhattan now I know, yeah, and you're gonna be like, "Do I recognize any of this place?" Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, dating a young woman named Tracy, although she's only 17 and still in high school. Oh wow! The Woody 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 Allen character is just Woody Allening. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, and then his <clears throat> ex-wife is Jill Davis, who is played by Meryl Streep, who is um, also uh, apparently a lesbian in the film. Um, oh, I would yeah. just love to see how that's played out. Oh, it's really probably not that great. Because <laughs> I haven't probably, seen it in a really long time, but... Probably annoying as hell. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, so we're back to Bridges of Madison County. Sorry for that divergence. Um, so... She drives in the middle of the night to the bridge. Yeah, Wait, what are yeah, you going to say? Oh, I just looked at down on a note and it just says some fucking bullshit about Africa. Do you remember this? Oh, do you remember yes, this? I do. Some, <laughs> some fucking bullshit about Africa. What scene mm-hmm. is that? Is that at dinner when he's just talking about like. No, it's it's when they're laying on the floor with a fire going in the middle of a Midwestern summer night, which does not make sense to me, by the way. Like, yeah. That does not. That is strictly for ambiance. Yeah, so they're um, sleeping. They're sleeping on the floor in the living room in front of the fire. And she's like, "Take me." She's crying. 
yeah. <laughs> and she's like, take me somewhere else with a story, basically. But this, I, we, this movie is an emotional roller coaster. It really is. <laughs> it so really, good. really is. It really is. Okay, so uh, she drives to the bridge, the Rosemond Bridge, in the middle of the night, and she leaves him a note, and the note has a little Keats line on it, and it's like basically like, uh, if you want to come to dinner again, that would be awesome. And he's taking pictures of the Rosemond Bridge in the morning. He finds the note up there. He's like, what is that? Even though it's really obvious, and I would have been the first thing I looked at. Um, he's like, what is that? And he runs up there and he gets the note and then he sticks it in his pocket without reading it. Right. And then he drives into town and this, these scenes are intercut with her going and running her own errands, um, including, but not limited to going to buy herself a new dress. And she's really having a hard time justifying it to herself. Cause she's like, I haven't bought myself a new dress in like forever. Um, but the, the, the cut scene is a woman with dark curly hair driving a 19, I think it's like a 1957 Chevy Bel Air, which was my weird rockabilly dream car when I was like mm. in seventh grade. And uh, like with, she's, with the, the fins, with right? the fins. Like yep. Those cars. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, that's not a pickup truck. That's not Meryl Streep. And so then we come to find out that it is not. It is a character named Lucy. And Lucy was having an affair with a man in town, which we had heard the story of earlier. And she was effectively a pariah. Um, so Robert, he uh, witnesses this firsthand. He like goes out of his way to be like, hey, there's a seat down here. The waitress is a real bitch. And is like, so are you going to order something or what? And like so gross Midwestern. That's bad. Like that's the bad side. That's the that's the gross side of the Midwest. Yeah. Um, she's, she's got a Midwest face too, which I really appreciate. God. Everyone everyone has Midwest face in this diner that where he's having lunch. Yeah, and then she's like, you know what? Actually, no, I I don't think so. I, I've changed my mind. She mm. sets down the menu. She goes outside. He doesn't think much of it. He's leaving the he's leaving the restaurant and he sees her sitting in her car, like crying, like weeping into her hands. And he kind of has this like moment of like realization and he goes across the street and he calls Francesca and she runs in off of her tractor to answer the phone. She's like sweating and panting and everything. And He's like, you know, um, I just met, I just, I just found out about Lucy. The fucking grocer was more than happy to tell me the entire story. Uh, and I just don't want to put you in a precarious situation where this could happen to you. And she's basically like, uh, keep your laws off my body. I'm going to do what I want (laughs) and I'll meet you at the barn. She's like, I don't give a fuck what people think basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for better or for worse, even though she probably definitely does give a fuck what people think. She just like in that moment is like, I don't care. So they go to the, they go to a different bridge. She goes and meets him there. And then they go to, um, they go back to the house and he takes a shower and she smells his clothes like a creep, like, like a creep, <laughs> like a total creep. And then she goes downstairs and he's like, can I do anything to help? And she's like, no, dinner will be ready in 30 minutes. I'm going to go take a bath. 
And then like, you know, there's a little bit of uh, first person narration that creeps in from the story about how she's realizing like this is the first this is the last place his naked body was and how she's starting to feel all these kinds of sexy feelings. Mm -hmm. And then this is we we cut back to present day where like the fucking son is like, I, I, I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. I, I have to go for a walk. And the sister's like, okay, whatever, bro. Like, why are you such a fucking weirdo? Um, and then she just goes straight back into reading the story, which I love. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Francesca puts on her new dress. She comes down. Like, she just looks like a regular ass woman in a nice dress. Like, and they start dancing and then they smooch. And then it's like ugh, the weirdest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The initial, the I don't know if we've told you guys, but we think that the smooching in this film is really bad. But um, the the first the first smooching, it like makes sense to me. You know, it's like when's the last time she kissed a new person? Probably wasn't since she was in her twenties in Italy kissing the man that she was going to marry and come back to the States with. And she didn't care where she was going as long as it was America quote end quote, because we have to remember Italy was fucking fascist at this time. They were literally in the grips of a horribly oppressive fascist dictatorship. And so Italy fucking sucked in the thirties and forties. Um, I learned that in my design history class. Uh, I actually, I mean, I knew that, but I learned a lot more about it. Anyway. Did you say Sicilian history class? No, my design history class. Design history class. Yeah. The, yeah. uh, the architecture from that era is really interesting. They started co-opting co these like neoclassical designs and really, um, they kind of took a lot of the, uh, like futurist manifesto stuff of, um, like coming out of coming out of World War One and constructivism, you know the the new modernism sort of made its way to Italy, and a um, a group like a design architecture art group called the Futurists released a manifesto about how you know um, design needed to disrupt society and uh, the like. The, the woman shouldn't be relegated to just being like a housewife and like the nuclear family doesn't need to be the way that it is and all these things. And so modernism was then really heavily co-opted by fascism. And they took a lot of like the modernist design principles, but appropriated it into like really gross shit. And, uh, you know, because of the political situation in Italy, they sort of ended up creating a, a space that was like the only safe way to be a designer or an architect or an artist is if you were participating. And so a lot of, a lot of the graphic design of an architecture of 1930s uh, Italy was designed by people who were basically actively anti-fash, but they like kind of just had to buy in. It's the same thing that happened in Germany um with a lot of a lot of artists and designers um they didn't actively become nazis like they didn't join the fucking nazi party but they also didn't like for whatever reason couldn't leave germany or like you know they like 
they kind of were forced into participation because it was the only way that they could get art supplies, you know. Um, but schools like Bauhaus and the Ulm School and all these other places were, um, you know, branded as being deviant and promoting deviancy in, among German youth. And so Hitler like had all that shit shut down and all of that was put on lockdown. And yeah, it was really wild. I learned a lot about um, who supported communism and who supported fascism through that, that class. And it was really interesting to see those individuals who kind of continued the charge against brutality and against like totalitarianism in that regard, like specifically in the face of like Hitler and Mussolini and those who just effectively became class traders, like, right. yeah. yeah, you know? Um, but yes, so the kissing was really awkward and uncomfortable at first, but it kind of felt like it had to be, but like the fact that it just continued to be like this, like weird, like mouth smooching thing. Like they were mushing their faces together a lot. Well, Eastwood doesn't have good lips, and I and I, I'm really glad that we're kind of breeding the bad lips out of our lead actors these days. I don't, I don't know if that's a horrible thing to say or not, but like I think like like you know, uh, call back to Terry Gilliam talking shit about Bruce Willis's butthole mouth. You know, yeah. it's like that's kind of a thing. Like you you would see these old fucking. It's like watching Cary Grant make out with anyone. It's also yeah. disgusting. Like. These old fucking white guys with their no lips, like, I just can't. And they're like, their girlfriend who's like 20 years younger than them, and they look like a catcher's mitt trying to smooch a cantaloupe. It's just like fucking terrible. Um, it's a catcher's well, mitt eating an antelope, a cantaloupe, an well, unkilled I, cantaloupe. I think I think that the another big difference is that um, the impetus of and acceptance of like... Uh, outpatient plastic surgery among men too oh yeah yeah like men <clears throat> get fucking lip fillers just the same as ladies do like they get like jaw fillers and all this shit so like i'm sure that there's still a lot of actors in hollywood that in between films don't have good looking lip interesting situations but you know if the role calls for a lot of like mouth action I wouldn't be surprised if they're getting fucking fillers, you know? So I, I had this epiphany. I was riding my bike over the Williamsburg Bridge last night, and I was like, you know what? When I get older, I'm going to get, like, a fucking, like, neck lift or whatever. Like, I'm just going to spend the money and just, I'm going to take care of because, like, you know, Do I look not talk my to me about neck lifts, my dude. I, look, I, I look, want one. I look around my family, and I'm like, look, we got big old gobblers in this family, and, you know, I can, like, keep the weight off, and I can do my best, but, like... Also, I'm a bed reader. I'm a hardcore lay in bed just like that. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yep. Mm -hmm. For anybody tucked. who's wondering, I just did the grossest chin tuck, double chin maneuver. Yep. Put, yeah. put your chin as close to your larynx as possible while you're reading for 12 hours a day or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, mm. one thought is I'll just have like very expansive neck tattoos and that might do the trick. But also maybe I'll just get like a fucking like whatever if it's like 15 grand like i could save it for that shit oh yeah. maybe i'll start you know set aside a little investment account for plastic surgery for like 15 years from now 55 yeah i mean wrong with that. Fuck it. so 
I have like the almost like the opposite problem. Uh, mine is like it's like semi related to tech neck, but it's very much like because I had such shit posture when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I like stuck my I stuck my chin out so far over the rest of my body that this muscle under my neck is like disproportionately shaped it's like very tight and so it creates this really intense like lack of contour curvature situation and so i've been doing a lot of research about it and i i to get that fixed would not be a traditional neck lift it's called a deep neck lift where they have to like go in under your tongue and actually like reconnect the muscle in like a different pulled back way to like get rid of this fucking thing and i want to do it so bad like how much, I, how much is it they're fucking so expensive like it's i like, and it's like 50 grand or something like that i think they're like 30 in the u.s but you can go to brazil and mm. get them in brazil for like fucking 7500 dollars. plastic surgery in brazil is cheap as fuck and most of the doctors are very good like what if, very what if, like, good. Someone's like, "Have you? Do you hear about what Beth and Bud did?" And they're like, "No, what, what happened?" They're like, they became bank robbers. <laughs> oh my god, this is Dog Day Afternoon. This is pretty much Dog Day Afternoon. <laughs> they became bank robbers to get fucking neck lifts. I mean, their, why not? In their mid, in their late forties. I literally told I told Trevin as suit like the moment I get a big girl job, like the moment I'm making more than seventy k a year, I'm getting a fucking neck lift. Like it's Dude, happening. I'm, I'm glad that we're both on board with this. I just had an epiphany because like I would always be like, oh god, like like I've known people who had a lot of plastic surgery, and I kind of always, uh, yeah, I, I I'm ashamed to say I always kind of like look down on them for it. Um, yeah, and I'm just like, wait, what? Like, yeah, I have I have a big boy job now. I have money. It's like. I want to spend fucking like 20 grand on like making my neck look fucking tight. Like fuck yep. it. Who fuck cares? Yeah, literally. I just want a jawline in yeah. profile, which I do not have because of these muscle groups. And even yeah. when I'm like fucking too <clears throat> skinny to be healthy, which I have been several times in my life. Yeah. Even when I'm too skinny to be healthy, I fucking still have the like taut that taut like parabolic curve of a fucking front neck. And, like, I don't think that there's any amount of physical therapy in the world that can get that to not do that. I'm going to yeah. talk to my physical therapist about it, but I'm pretty sure, like, I f- I'm fucked. Like, I, I let that muscle grow and develop in that shape, and it's never going to not want to be in that shape. Yeah. Um, but... Well, you're you're a beautiful woman, and I'm I'm a beautiful woman as well, and you know, we're, I know. We're, we are perfect we're, just the way that we are. But we are both very very good looking people, and also, yep, that's right, I said it. Um, but also, we're like good people too. <laughs> yeah, and so that that really makes up for it. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to get a little work done if it means that you're gonna like look in your bo- at yourself in the mirror and be like, "Fuck yeah, yeah." I'm all about like things being squared away, you know. Yeah. Like, like what if, if whatever can uh, you know settle the the constant mutterings in the back of my mm. head just mm-hmm. a little bit, 
mm-hmm. you know, I'm all for it. I, I, I pluck my ear hair when I'm drunk at the hotel. And, you know, that just that makes it good for another four days. Uh-huh. And then and then, you know, don't have to worry about that. Yep. I do. I, I come home after a few gins and I do the nose and the ears with the with the my pink tweezers in my hotel room. Amazing. All right. Let's 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 try and let's try and get back to this fucking quick plot outline, which is absolutely that is what it says in our show notes. Quick plot outline. <laughs> quick. You want to know what the quick plot outline of this is? A bored housewife gets seduced. There it is. Okay. Yep. Pretty much. Um, we can kind of wrap it up. I mean, I think I think we've kind of covered what happens, which is that yeah, they, they, don't, they don't end up together, unfortunately. They, they have a romantic, like, like romantic moment in time. And, you know, the film effectively ends by him asking her to come with him. And she almost does. She, she packs, packs two suitcases. Yep. She packs two suitcases. She comes down to sit at the table for one last dinner. And he looks at the look on her face. And she, he says, you're, you're not going to come with me. And he's like, well, we don't have to decide right now. Like, what if we just don't decide right now? What if we see each other and then you decide? And that, that like, I was like, okay, man, he that could have gone real gross you know like he could have sat there and like tried to convince her and like her point was that like if i go with you the pain that i'm gonna feel about leaving my family is going to turn into my resenting you because you will always be associated with that pain and so she stays barely. She barely stays because oh there's a moment. <laughs> oh my God. my God. I was crying because this moment came immediately after the moment that I was like, was Clay with the right person for this character? He's just standing in the rain, staring at her, looking like a wet soggy sad puppy dog with his old ass hair looking all crazy (laughs) strooped down his face and he goes and he gets in his truck and her husband comes in and they pull up behind it and they do this thing where she's watching him in the background in the rearview mirror and the husband says something, oh, that must be the photographer that they're talking about. And she puts her hand on the door and she's like about to like start unlatching the door. And she said like the voiceover is like, I I had this moment that he like really didn't want me and he was just going to drive away. And then she watches him put her necklace on the rear view mirror. And she's like about she's literally about to unlo- unlock that door and go get in his truck when the husband honks the horn. Well, and he honks it a couple times, and and Robert is just sitting there blocking traffic because yeah. he's like he's signaling to her like this is it, come like come with me, let's do this, and she tilts the fucking door lever like she's almost she's, going for it, oh and my then God. he turn and then he drives away, he turns onto the street, and she just starts crying, yeah. and her husband is like, what's wrong? And she's like, I just need a minute. And he's like, okay, can you tell me what's wrong? She's like, no, I just need a minute. She's just like weeping in the car. And then she's like, I was grateful for the silence at the dinner table that night. And she's just like sitting there in silence, like mourning the loss of this thing that she had for just like a moment and mourning like the, the like mendacity of her life to come. And then, and then 
we fast forward in time to her husband dying and he says to her, I know that you had dreams of your own and I'm sorry that I couldn't fulfill them, but I love you with all my heart. Yeah. I was just like, this is too much. And then we find (laughs) out that like, and then we find out that every year on her birthday, she'd go to the places where they were. And then she gets a letter in the mail three years after her husband dies that says that Robert Kincaid died and it has all of his stuff in it. And the book that she suggested that he gets published and his bracelet that he wore the whole time. And the letter from the, um, the letter from the, the lawyer says that like he wanted to be cremated and, and spread at Roseman bridge and her kids are like <clears throat> reading this shit, walking down the river. And they're like, they get to this place where they're like, she literally, she, she they were like simultaneously like angry at, fr- before they got to the end of this part, they had a moment where they were like angry because they were like, well, we wanted to fucking do this shit. Like, I'm staying in a marriage that I hated because that's what I was taught to do. And there's even a moment where she's like, what do I tell my daughter? Like, I have to show her that when you do something, when you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. And if I leave, what's that going to tell her about life? And, uh, and then they get to the end where she says, you know, all those times you asked me to wear that pretty dress in my closet that I never wore, it felt like it felt like you were asking me to wear my wedding dress to prom mm-hmm. or to a party. And so, you know, like there's just like all of these moments that we realize that were in their lives growing up that were just like these like painful reminders of like a sense of freedom that she had never experienced in her life, a sense of freedom and a sense of love that she had never experienced. And then she lost both of them, both her husband and Robert within a very short period of time of each other. And then the banger for me was that she was like, you know what I did? As soon as he left, I went and befriended Lucy. She became my best fucking friend. And everybody in town talked about us together. And you know who didn't care? My husband didn't care because he was a good man. Like, yeah, Yeah. it's it's a good resolution because I think she does find happiness with her. Her life. I, I have a note that says I love the messed up bangs when he drives away, when he drives off her farm. Uh-huh. when when she was like she follows him out and her bangs are all fucked up and like yeah. it's like that's such a choice yeah to like make so her she was hair just like, that. like just like doing this motion yeah exactly. so like yeah no it was good um so yeah and there's like a nice resolution with the you know the son uh he he goes and tells his wife how much he loves him and then i think the daughter um she tells her fucking husband that he can get fucked and that she's yeah. not mad at him, but she's not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of thought like after the sun shows, the sun goes away and turns out he went to a bar and he's just like drunk and he comes back. And he's like way more relaxed because he's drunk now. But like, mm-hmm. I have to say, I kind of felt like the son and the daughter had stronger sexual charisma than Robert and Francesca. <laughs> Yeah, and, that was and, weird. I definitely had that moment where like he <laughs> pulled the bottle out of his pocket. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? So in sure? my state in my par- parodic, you know, in my satirical stage production, the Oh, 
actually, this is what I was going to say is in my satirical stage production of this movie, the son and the daughter also play Robert and Francesca. Oh, that would be weird. I don't know. I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> That's a little transgressive, I guess. Yeah. It's just too much. Make me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> That's good. That's, you know, it's not art if it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. As we saw with all the schmooching. Oh, God. Terrible smooches. Yeah, more eggs or should we just fuck on the linoleum one last time? Uh, that was just absolutely a fucking outstanding, outstanding line. I, I, I kind of think that in a weird way, because Clint Eastwood... I, I don't think they have like strong chemistry together. And, and in a lot of times you don't really see them in the same frame too often. Right. Um, the, a lot of it is like, I mean, the camera is frequently just featuring Meryl and mm-hmm. she's is doing fucking amazing work hundred percent of the time. And then just like crushing it, fucking just killing it. And then, you know, when it's on Clint, he's just totally Twitter painted with her. He's obsessed with her. And that's like kind of charming. I think his presence is definitely not as strong Although I, you're kind of turning me around when you're when we're describing him standing there in the rain like some shitty old dog that's just completely soaking wet, and maybe that final scene justifies his presence in this entire movie. But yeah, I do I, I do think there is more you know charisma between the the son and the daughter, unfortunately, which is a little creepy. Um, yeah, but I just think it, that the do- the the actor they got for the do- the son was just like not a good pick. I think that's right. I, think that's I right. just didn't I really didn't like him as a yeah. as an actor I I started to think that maybe this is like a weird meta critique on cinema and like filmmaking for Clint Eastwood which is why he put himself in like this it seemed like a very personal role for him and how he played it it did have and, that and it's it's sort of like She's like, what? You just like you don't have a connection with anyone. You just travel around. You don't have a home. You take your fucking pictures and you talk about your journalistic art shit. But like you're never actually really living a true life. And Mm -hmm. it sucks because the way you are just in the way you live your life is like so attractive to someone who's really boring like myself. And it's almost unfair. It's unfair of you to just show up and like routinely, like what you just like seduce housewives all across the country when you're going to take pictures of your boring fucking shit. And like, in a way it seems like a meditation on cinema itself and film filmmaking itself. It's like, and I'm like, cause I, and I was thinking, put, I was put in this mindset because I was watching uh, Clint Eastwood kissing and I was like, maybe he's not, maybe he's not a human being. Maybe he's from outer space. Like he doesn't know how to kiss. I, like he does, he's not a real person. And then like, that's why he is an actor and that's why he's a filmmaker. Cause he's always striving to like come into contact with like normal human beings. Yeah. Uh, and that's why he, he's like trying to connect to people through making films, which are like inherently false, no matter how much true you know veracity they they impart through their you know the warp and the weft of, of their their structure um that's just a thought that i had that this was a weird meta critique on like you know mid-century american cinema or, or I mean, cinema through you know cinema's effect on mid-century american culture i guess yeah and, i mean and how i that, think that's possible that's been ha- handed down to these gen x kids these gen x kids who are struggling with their mother's sexuality and right. they're and, and discovering that their mother had inter like an internal <laughs> personality 
and wants and needs and that sort of stuff. I did really appreciate, though, the moment where the son was like, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me. Like, why do I feel like she's cheating on me? Like, that's fucking weird. Like, he, he, I mean, that, like, there was, like, a level of, like, self- awareness that i really appreciated you know what i just realized okay so i looked him up and what i just realized is he's a fucking tv actor that's why he's so fucking weird and that's why i like okay he he seemed so out of sorts so i think we can safely say our least favorite character is the son michael i think that's right uh francesca obviously the best obviously um we talked about our memorable scenes certainly um i did love the line and it definitely made me cry where it was like moments like these are what is the exact quote i gotta i gotta get it right can't fuck it up it's um this kind of certainty comes but just once in a lifetime i was Mm. like how rude of you to speak <laughs> to me like that in my own home yeah. how dare you sir yeah yeah that's a little audacious um, i would say yeah just absolutely outrageous oh shit this is another really hilarious thing about this movie uh factoid uh so robert kincaid was not a real person um but that did not stop a lot of people on a global scale from continuously calling and writing International Geographic to learn more about Robert Kincaid's career as a photographer. And that regardless, and even though they realized that the story Bridges of Madison County was fictional, they still would like to see his catalog because people were convinced that this was real. That this was based on a real, actual National Geographic photographer named Robert Kincaid. Like, they had to write a form letter to mail to people because that's how many people were fucking sending in letters asking for the 1994 edition of the Madison, the Bridges in Madison County um, National Geographic that they pulled out. Apparently, that one was originally um, the the golden gate bridge episode or uh edition oh okay got it yeah and they're like uh, we don't know how to tell you this but he <laughs> has a fictional character he does not exist he does not have an over of photographs and the story about africa that was like that was dumb <laughs> i was like yeah yeah Wait. It was like people just like exist there, you know, it's just like they're just the light and they just know their lives, you know, no like centuries of like leftover fucked up in this from colonial oppression. And, you know, we're like, which Africa have you been to, sir? Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah that is that part let's fucking you want to rate this this uh, let's fucking movie. rate it i mean i'm honestly like i low-key just like except for like the the kissing and the fucking annoyingness of the sun i want to give this movie 10 out of 10 like just i fucking well, loved it it's a scale between one and 500 so okay sorry 500 out of 500 that just yeah, doesn't fine. roll off of the <laughs> fucking I mean, it's. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say 500. Also, like it was so enjoyable. It was so oh good. God. It was so good. Um, 
it was so believable. Like the way that Meryl Streep played this fucking housewife was just like incredible. I mean, I've had moments in my life where I've had like love affairs that lasted a day, you know, like that mm. is fucking real and it hurts and it sucks. And it's just like, yeah, it was really good. It was really fucking good. Yeah. Veracity 500. Yes. hundred percent. Yep. Immersiveness. I was in that fucking small ass Iowa farmhouse for every minute of the time that we were in that, that house. I, I could feel the heat. I could smell mm-hmm. Meryl Streep's armpits. I could smell fucking. The fucking flies. Yeah, the flies everywhere. The flies. I loved it. I noticed it from the jump. I was like, oh my God. And like the the crack of the screen door shutting. Uh uh-huh. Like I could smell the grass. Like I like I know that that summer. I know what that summer feels like. The, the light was. It was like you know when you're outside in the bright sun for a long time without sunglasses, and it just actually feels kind of dark because like mm-hmm. your eyes are actually being a little damaged. It felt like that, mm-hmm. and like everyone's like squinting all the time because it's so fucking hot and bright. Yep, and it's a little dusty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, five hundred for immersive. It, it was. It was there. Mm-hmm. Um definitely accomplished its purpose which is to make me get a bridges of madison county tattoo <laughs> too sweet <laughs> yeah um, uh, would you would watch you, it again yeah oh well, yeah 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 uh i would say yes tr- i mean obviously revival theater 100 percent, but like streaming on purpose i think yeah yeah like i'm definitely I'm not going to play this for my wife because you know how we always talk about is the main theme theme of the show that Rachel has bad, um, you know, bad filters when it comes to movies. And this might be a little too sad for her. Mm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She'll just cry. She'll just cry, cry the whole time. and cry. Yeah. Think about, think about her. The moment that she realizes exactly how this is going to play out, she'll just start weeping and never stop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So fucking 500s all across the board. I don't even know what that is. So let's see. It's uh, how many topics are there? One, two, three, four, five. Uh, 2,500. 2,500. Perfect Top fucking score. score. Perfect score. Holy shit. Of all the fucking movies, I never <laughs> in a million years would have said, oh, you want to know what one's going to be the best fucking one we watch? Bridges of fucking Madison County? Like, are you kidding me? It's so good. Are you kidding me? I'm pretty sure my grandmother loved this movie and tried to get me to watch it with her. And I was like, that's not going to happen, my dude. Like, that sounds boring as fuck. But I wonder if oh I wonder if kids, God. I wonder if this is accessible to, to young kids or I wonder at what age this this is impossible to enjoy. Um, I think I, actually, have to- I may have liked you know, I might I might have liked this when I was a kid. I I'm I was a little romantic boy, so I also was, but for some reason I was just like a movie about bridges. <laughs> exactly. That's what I thought it was, a movie about bridges. And Dude. I even Go ahead. Even Sorry. when I told Trevin we were gonna, I was we were going to do this one he was like fucking have fun with that one and I was like, I know, right? And then I watch it I'm like just like crying. I'm just like <laughs> on the couch and he's like you just over there crying and farting and just crying and i was like yeah and he's like how was it i was like it was really good really fucking good i cannot unbelievable do you have alternates for clip for eastwood 
other actors that you could other you could actors <clears throat> that could have done that role at that time because that's really the trick right it has to be somebody who's the right age i kind of thought harvey keitel although no. it's a bit of a stretch Ugh. no absolutely not the way he wears high-waisted pants i'd die <laughs> i mean he's he's done something similar he plays that like manic pix- i mean this uh clint eastwood's a manic pixie dream girl so a little bit yeah right? uh-huh. no 100 percent um I feel that I was I was a manic pixie dream girl for my own wife at the time when I met her. Yeah, and played that role. But um, I mean, he did the uh, Harvey Keitel did this very similar role in the piano, which is a Jane Campion novel that takes place in New Zealand. Um, mm. I think I could. I, I just I think he might have been more present. I think they they might have have, have had a more compelling connection. But there again, that fucking final scene in the rain. You know, I think mm-hmm. it, I think it just sticks it, it sticks it for me. I'm like looking at like popular actors in the nineties. Paul Newman would have been way too old, but young, like young Paul Newman in that role. Ooh, no, fuck. are they, are they not the same age? Cause, uh, this was 90. This was still alive and he's 90. Okay. What year was, what year was Clint Eastwood born in? 30, 1930. Paul Newman was five years older than him. Could have done it. That Could've would have been a it. fucking <laughs> banger i would have watched i would have watched the shit out of that so you Um, you, and and you think that he would have had to he had to be older i do i absolutely do i definitely think he had to at least be the same age if not a little bit older than um than than her husband okay not younger do you think conspicuously younger would would work it wouldn't have it wouldn't have hit the same way i don't think because for some reason I'm like, oh, Nick Nick Cage would be kind of fun. He he plays a similar role in Corelli's Mandolin. I've actually not seen that movie, but I, I read the book. Um, Here's the thing. Francesca was so she was like she was such a um she was such a reasonable woman that it couldn't have it couldn't have had frivolous written all over it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like she had to she had to be she had to be like drawn in by the possibility of another life which she only could have imagined with someone who was closer to being her peer than someone younger than her she wouldn't she's not the kind of woman that would have ever been turned i don't think her eyes would have been turned by a younger man i mean i can only think of funny ones like like dennis like dennis hopper would be like really funny Dennis Hopper would be funny. I was thinking maybe Anthony Hopkins, um, but he's so serious. Hopkins, yeah, too serious. Cause yeah, um, yeah, Clint, Clint was a, a little silly. He knew how to like you know kind of relax a little bit. Yeah. Hmm. Sinbad. Gary Oldman. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean. Gary Oldman's so fucking weird, and I, I can only see him in, uh, as the villain from The Professional. Oh my god! Wait, how old is Ralph Fiennes? No, he's too young. Too, I was oh, like, he would have yeah. been, yeah, way too young. Him and Meryl um, are like the same age. I want to say. I think so. No, um, he's younger. He's younger than Meryl Streep. He's like in his sixties. Okay. Um. Honestly, like there really were not many just like in that right that right age 
like elk sort of elder statesmen of Hollywood at that point. Yeah. They also were like charming and handsome and fit. Christopher maybe. Walken could have maybe done it. He no, did you hear like he's this... gonna be the fucking emperor in Dune 2? Oh, is he really? Chris- yes. Yeah. He's too young. I'm here for it. I'm it's hotty though. Donald Sutherland um, is kind of like of that age. Liam Neeson. No. Well, no, Liam, Liam Neeson could have. Like... He was born in 1952. He would have been the same age as her husband. I mean, like she's just born a in little bit older. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, he Liam Neeson could have played older. Yeah, yeah. Um. Max von Sydow? Who the hell is that guy? Alan uh, Rickman, maybe? Oh. I, okay, I love this guy. Um, and I don't know if he could have done it because he's British and he's very British. But um, Pete Post, Postlethwaite, do you know who that is? Um, let, me, let me look him up. He was in The Usual Suspects. He oh, has a guy? very bulbous nose, but he's yep. very charming. He was also the priest in Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Ed Harris. Yeah. It could have been Ed Harris. Ed Harris definitely could have done it for sure. Ed Harris brings... for sure. Yeah, he brings that gravitas for sure, but he's sexy. He's got the right body. Uh-huh. He's yeah. Got that like that like mm. t- I tuck my shirt in, I wear old jeans i'm skinny because i work so much sort of situation i can see him driving around with like beer in the back of his truck for sure 100 percent, 100 percent uh ed harris would have been a great cast he is like you know he's (laughs) he's sort of like the darker slightly scarier version of fucking clint eastwood anyway like the man in black from westworld is fucking terrifying uh-huh. Definitely. Like love. So, you know, there's a couple people that could have done it, I think, but I don't really think anybody could have done it in the way that it was done to get it to do what it did. Like Clint Eastwood had like he had a name, he also had mm-hmm. money, he also mm-hmm. had clout in Hollywood. Meryl Streep hadn't really done anything in a little while. So like this was like a really big role for her. And this movie was huge, huge. Like it brought in like $75 billion globally or some crazy shit like that. Not billion, 75 million. Yes, it was. It it, bonkers. Okay. In hold on. Um, I looked it up. Box office 182 million. Worldwide. But overall. It's wild. Budget was 22. Not surprising. At the end of its run, the film grossed 71 million, but it did a worldwide total of 182 million. Like that is a lot of fucking money. Yeah. Especially in the 90s. That's a fucking earner because it only cost 22 million to make, which is wild. I mean, it's not a lot of people in this movie. No. No, there's not. There's not, 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 not a lot of going on. Just, uh, you know, Meryl Streep fucking owning owning it, the world. So, right. amazing. Should we close her out? 
Thank you again for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and in case you need to be reminded. This kind of certainty comes but just once in a lifetime. Beautiful. 